Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. And in the end of May, no less... So the pandemic is extremely not over. Is it just me or does it feel like kind of everyone has COVID? Do we need another booster? Should we still be masking? Enough questions were starting to pile up for us here at Nerdette that we thought we should check in with our friend, Dr. Emily Landon, or as we like to call her, Nerdette's resident epidemiologist. She's an infectious disease specialist at the University of Chicago. Emily, welcome back. Hey, happy to be here. Happy to have you. Not happy about the COVID numbers. Yeah, man. So yeah, I have to tell you, we talked in, I think, like early March and you were like, yeah, I'm feeling good. Like, you know, masking. Oh, like, let's keep doing it. This is all right. And then like two weeks later, I was in Canada with COVID. It was a real bummer. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. So I would like us to start with um, Deanna, who's an internet listener who had a really good question. Let's listen to her voicemail. Hey, Nerdette, this is Deanna in Atlanta, Georgia. You know, numbers seem relatively low uh, comparative to other surges, definitely going up. But at the same time, I've never known this many people who have had COVID at the same time. So what is going on there? Are the numbers not reflecting the reality of what we're seeing on the ground? I can completely relate to this. I mean, last week I had a friend here in Chicago who had gotten it for the second time, a friend in Maine who had it, friends in Colorado, friends in Alaska, like just all over the place. It felt like more than ever before people like in my circle were sick. Yeah, I think more people than ever may actually have COVID right now. So as is the case, as things evolve in medicine, now that we have so many available at home rapid tests, a lot of people are choosing to use those to get tested instead of and and then because, you know, free testing is sort of done, it, a lot of people are choosing to use the at-home COVID tests instead of going to PCR testing. And that's great because we don't have enough people to handle surges and PCR testing. PCR testing has a role, but it's really not as needed as we needed it in the past because we just didn't have enough home tests. Now people are getting those home tests and those home tests are resulting positive, but they're not like sending it to the health department Mm -hmm. because there's really, it's really complicated. There's like some fine print that tells you how to do it, but it doesn't always work and it's not really necessary. So what ends up happening is that the numbers that you see in the reports from your local health department or your state health department or the CDC are reflect the trend, right? Because they're going to go up when the cases are going up, but they don't reflect the actual absolute number of cases. Hmm. When we do contact tracing at the university, we find that the numbers that we get from PCR tests, the cases that we get from PCR tests are probably less than a third of the total number of cases. Oh, wow. They call people and people have to report their at-home tests in order to get their days off and stuff. So yeah, so probably the numbers are at least double what you're seeing, probably more than double. And we're doing all of this with zero mitigations. Woof. 
So if, for someone who does take a home test and test positive, do you recommend, like, should they be trying to get in touch with the, like, a health department? Should they at least be telling their doctor? Like, what what's the smart thing to do with that? Well, it's not necessary to tell your health department. It's a little bit unwieldy for the health department to be monitoring every single case when we're not doing any mitigation, right? Yeah. So I think, but it may be important to reach your doctor. If you have any reason to believe that you might be at high risk, you should call your doctor right away if you mm-hmm. get a positive test because they can offer you treatment and things that will help prevent you from being in the hospital, which is a big reason why we're not seeing so many people in the hospital this time. So, yeah, that like Fauci has said that we're no longer at the pandemic stage. You know, as you're saying, like yeah, hospitalization. I don't know if I <laughs> well, I mean, I think you can at least argue that hospitalization rates are low. Um, so would you th- would you say these days that COVID is more of like an intense annoyance than a public health threat? Or are you still looking at this as like pandemic? Yeah, I think this surge or wave, I wouldn't even call it a surge because of the hospital, low hospitalization numbers. Mm-hmm. I would say this is more of a wave. And, and I, I, I'm not surprised we're having a wave now. I'm surprised it came this early. I expected we'd have another month or two before we got to that point, but you know, whatever. The, the key here is that just because this wave is more of an annoyance, I guess, that doesn't mean that it's going to stay that way. And it doesn't mean the next one is. So here's where the problem is. Unmitigated waves of COVID cause problems. They cause problems acutely in how many patients are hospitalized, how many people get really sick, and how many people have to miss work. Now, we've fixed a lot of that, how many people are hospitalized, how many people get really sick with complications by providing you know, vaccines and medications for them, which is really good. But we still haven't really done what we haven't been able to mitigate, like sort of staffing problems in areas when you have outbreaks in a workplace and and in schools, for example. I mean, you're seeing way more outbreaks in schools, way more transmission from kids to their parents. Then the parents have to miss work and the parents may or may not have sick days. And sometimes people are actually just continuing to work with COVID, which is then making other coworkers sick and then they're missing work. So we're seeing sort of this same problem where when everybody gets sick at the same time, it causes, we're starting to see issues with that sort of trickling into our productivity or our economic sort of output, right? And some people argue that the solution to that is to just ignore COVID and let everybody go to work with COVID without, you know, and live their lives, even though they have COVID. But I'm guessing most people who've had COVID don't necessarily agree with that because, a lot of people still feel so sick that they need to stay home when they have COVID. Yes. They're just too unwell to be at work. Yeah. Yeah. I for sure was too, like, I was too unwell to be bored while isolating in Canada, yeah. which I guess was, you know, in some ways it was nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, great. Um, but I think it's it also is bad because if you just are going to work or going to school or going around your life with COVID and just letting it sort of spread willy nilly, the argument for doing that is that then there'll be plenty of immunity and it will stop spreading, which is what we see with most other infections. But that is not what's happening with COVID. What's happening is it's a, it's basically mutating and right. we're getting new variants. And those variants are coming so quickly that people are able to get reinfected within a few months. And I don't think this is a good idea. But even if we did say, forget it, you just stay home if you're too sick to go to work, Right. Mm -hmm. you're still causing 
a lot of problems because too many people are going to be too sick to go to work. Too many people are going to have multiple medical problems or worse outcomes, right? And then you're going to get too many variants and people are going to get sick too often. I don't know about you, but the idea of, I mean, you just had COVID. Yeah. I don't want it ever again. I don't. Yeah. I mean, you're good. But see, the point is like, if we keep at it like this, you're going to get sick again. And the next, like the likelihood is people are going to get COVID a few times a year. And <sighs> and then there's the problem of the long-term outcomes of that, right? We don't know very much about the long-term outcomes of COVID. Some people who have mild to moderate infection, so they are able to stay home, don't need the hospital, get medications, whatever still have long COVID, even though they're vaccinated, even if they got treatments. And some of them are still having organ damage or cognitive impairment. And the science has not been settled about this. It's probably lower for vaccinated people, but how much lower is it really zero? What proportion of these people? And then we learned during Omicron that a small percentage of a huge number is still a lot of people. Right. I remember you saying that last time. Yeah. I I think that this whole... I'm going to ignore COVID and pretend like things are normal phase. I don't think that's going to last. I mean, and I'm glad it's not going to last because I think it's a terrible idea from a public health and from a sort of productivity and sort of a lifestyle standpoint. I just, I mean, you got stuck in Canada, right? Mm -hmm. When you were sick, this can happen anytime you travel. And the more COVID is spreading, the more likely it is that our trips are going to get disrupted, that our, you know, weddings or life events are going to get disrupted. You know, you sort of count on, not getting so sick that you need to stay home multiple times a year. And right now we're not, you know, we're not on track for that. It's funny, Emily, because I feel often when we have this conversation, there's a point at it where I'm just sitting here and I'm like, fuck. And this is that point. We found it. Here we are. It's like the pendulum swang all the way to staying at home, which it needed to in the very beginning because we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know. We didn't have the supplies. We didn't have the medications, vaccines, right? Sure. And then now it's swung all the way back the other direction to like, I'm going to just ignore COVID and hopefully it'll go away. Yeah. And I've been arguing that that's not the best strategy. I think it's clear that that's also not the best strategy. It's not the best strategy to do lockdowns or to try and control COVID and be zero COVID. That's not the best strategy right now either. It was never the plan to be zero COVID. It was always the plan to get our act together, figure it out, and then try and mitigate. And that's sort of what many people in my job have been pushing for. But there's a lot of people who just want to ignore it and get back to normal. And they seem to have, you know, made the argument that we should, a strong enough argument that we should at least give that a try, Hmm. that public health was willing to go along with it. I think that was ill-advised, but I can also understand that, you know, sometimes you just have to let someone try something and fail, right? (laughs) But I I don't, I don't think this is going to be a good long-term strategy either. We're going to have to find something in the middle and it's not going to be you do you. That's not, (laughs) I don't think that's going to be the strategy. In just a minute, we'll talk about how to make sure you can stay safe. But of course, the short version is wear a mask. We'll have more after the break. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. 
More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Okay, so we got a lot of questions around antibodies and boosters. Uh, let's listen yeah, to two probably. of them. Yeah, and then you can help us out with these ones. Hi, this is Isabel from Chicago, and my question is, how long am I protected by my COVID booster shot, and when should I get a second one? So that's a very good question. Let's listen to Cassie, and then we'll hear your insights. Hey, Internet, this is Cassie from Chicago. My husband and I are both fully vaccinated and boosted as of last November, but about three weeks ago, we got COVID. About how long do you think we should expect our current protection from reinfection to last? And relatedly, any chance that folks under 50 are going to be able to get a second booster? Thanks. So yeah, what do you think? I know a lot of things that are going to help us here. So here's what we need to understand. And I'm going to oversimplify the immune system here, and it's probably still going to sound complicated, but just stick with me for a second. You've got... (laughs) two arms of your immune system. One is like the antibody arm and the other is like the memory arm. And it includes like the T cells and stuff like that. And the, the antibody arm is like the bouncer at a club. They try and keep the virus out of your cells to begin with. They're the ones that keep you from getting an infection at all. They're the ones that prevent the breakthrough infection. And Mm -hmm. they don't last very long after a vaccine. It looks like they're somewhere between, they start waning somewhere between two months to six months afterwards. And and they weren't perfectly matched to Omicron to begin with. So there's sort of your protection from another Omicron infection from the vaccine is like, it's real short-lived from a breakthrough infection anyway. But the sort of memory arm, the part that, that, that's the part that once... COVID gets into your cells and a style, you know, gets into the, the bouncer doesn't kick it out. It's in the club and it starts wreaking havoc, right? This is like the security team that comes in and tries to get COVID out and fix it before it wrecks all the clubs. I like the idea that it's like your squad of like maybe two drunk girlfriends who are going to help you out. Yeah, they're better than two drunk girlfriends, though. <laughs> well, that's they're good. Better. That's really good to hear. <laughs> um, they're like... They're like the big guys that haven't been drinking. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Okay. And they come in and they're like, you're the one causing trouble. You're out. You know, that, <laughs> that's, that's what they are. And, and that type part of the immune system remembers COVID a lot longer. And it can do, it can keep you out of the hospital. It can sort of, it's like damage limitation time. You're now into like the, like damage control. And that part does pretty well. However, it does, that also doesn't last forever. And we're starting to see in older individuals and people with multiple medical problems, their sort of security team here, the memory immune system is starting to sort of wane a couple of years, a year after their initial series, right? And we're starting to see that even those individuals, when they get boosted, their antibody response doesn't last that long. So they don't have as many bouncers. And then they also are kind of failing to have that memory response either, and that after, you know, six to 12 months. And so the problem is that there's new variants that come out and then all of the, it's sort of like resetting everything. And then all your bouncers don't really know what they're looking for anymore. And they might mess up more earlier or easier. And then we have the problem that there's constant waves and how often you get vaccinated depends on what you want the vaccine to do. If we're expecting the vaccine to keep us from getting COVID at all, sorry, it's not going to do that. 
So then you're relying on the vaccine to keep you out of the hospital. It's doing a great job of that. I mean, you can see. And the people mm-hmm. that for whom the vaccine doesn't work as well, we've got medications to use. So that that part of the pandemic seems to have been at least temporarily managed. The problem is the more variants we get, the less, you know, the medicines might not work as well. The vaccines might not work as well. Older people are going to need and high-risk people are going to need sort of regular boosters. And the FDA isn't set up to make a recommendation for like a dosing interval of mm. six months for certain groups because that's not how they evaluate vaccines. So I think it's going to be a little touch and go, but I would expect that they're going to be approving things on about that cycle. So those high-risk people are going to get about an every six-month approval and regular, everyday, healthy people are going to probably be in on every year basis. And I would probably time that for the winter because that's when your risk is the highest and that there's sort of the, you can get the biggest dose of COVID in schools mm-hmm. inside. Well, and it seems like with timing that that's kind of around when a lot of people, at least if they didn't have early access, did get their first booster was sort yeah. of like late fall, early winter yeah. of last year. So that that's a, that's pretty reasonable. So I think once people have had COVID, like your second caller, they're really starting to say, wait a second, I don't want to do this again. Yeah. And they're hearing about people having infection three months after they just had infection. And I think people are starting to say, wait a second, this is a real disruption in my life. Like, it's not just a cold. It's a problem. And it's not just a problem because they tell me I have to stay home for five to 10 days. It's a problem because I'm really sick and because I can't do stuff and I don't want to get other people sick. So what are we going to do about this? And Where's the vaccines and the medicines that can help prevent this? And the, the fact of the matter is that if you want to avoid getting infected, there's really only one way, and that's to put a mask on your face. Yeah. And probably when when cases are this high for everybody to be wearing a mask. And that's just not something that people are willing to do right now. Mm-hmm. So you kind of hinted at this, but it sounds like what I've heard is that 90 days-ish is how long someone can yeah. expect to not get COVID yeah. in that window again. <laughs> It depends. The problem is that if there's a new a new variant that comes through, then sure. that number is no longer 90 days. It's now shortened to however long it takes for you to get exposed to the new variant. Uh, so um, depending on the how different the variant is. So there's not ever going to be a rational or clear way. But if you've just had COVID, you should wait at least in order to spread your protection out and give yourself the maximal protection and the least likelihood of getting uh, COVID. I would wait nine days before you get another booster. So, yeah. And when it comes to people who aren't immunocompromised, who are under 50, who, you know, maybe did get a booster like six ish months ago at this point. Would you recommend that? that, I mean, because that part's kind of confusing these. Like, is it ethically problematic if we do go in? Because it's not you know, directed at this point that we do that? No, you're not supposed to. Okay. There's no evidence. No one studied whether or not it's going to help you. If it does help you, it's only going to help you for a short time. Okay. So we'll wait. Um, we'll wait and see yeah, on and that you one. don't need it in order to keep you out of the hospital. So I'm not sure that it's, I mean, I can understand why people would want it. I, yeah. I think <laughs> in the current situation where people are literally sending their kids to school with COVID because they don't want them to miss a day Ugh. and they're like, going to work without their masks on with COVID because they took one rapid test and it was negative and they're like, oh, it's probably just my allergies. And then the next day they're like, oh, yeah, shit. That, it is yeah, not. that's real. So yeah. uh, Deanna from Atlanta, who had that question earlier on about numbers, also is the only one masking at work and was like, should I be doing this? It sounds like your answer is heck yes. Everybody should be wearing a mask. I, I don't understand why there's absolutely no reason why we we would have had a man in the last two years. There's no 
doubt we would have had a mask mandate right now. The only reason we don't is because CDC decided to move the goalposts right. to make their recommendations more about protecting the economy and protecting healthcare than about protecting individuals. But they didn't say, I move these goalposts because I'm no longer concerned about protecting you. I'm leaving that up to you. They said, you don't need to wear a mask anymore. And that's not the same thing. Yeah, I think everybody should be wearing a mask indoors right now. I mean, I think the thing that is difficult is that people think that, well, if I'm not going to wear one when I'm out to eat, then why would I wear one any other time? Mm. And that's, that is like creating a false dichotomy that if it's not a hundred percent protective, then I shouldn't do anything. And that doesn't make any sense. Right. Because if you protect yourself 50% of the time, if we all protected ourselves 50% of the time, then the times we had our masks off, there would be fewer cases. And so we'd be lower risk. Mm -hmm. So there's, um, the, the community benefits of everybody wearing a mask in the grocery store, the library, you know, the DMV are that it's safer for you to eat out. The community benefits of nobody wearing a mask are none. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I'm, I'm not sure what the individual benefit is either. You're more likely to get COVID. Yeah. I guess you get to not have a mask on at the grocery store, which is, you know, honestly, if that's what is the one thing that will make you happy, you need to reevaluate your priorities in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Emily, last time we had you on, we asked about little kid vax and uh, you didn't have much of a sense of why there were delays. But I'm curious now, like, is there a timeline for that right now? What is happening? Okay, so there's a meeting on June 15th. This is inexplicable. Moderna put their data in. It was good. And the FDA said, we're going to just sit on this and wait until uh, Pfizer puts their data in. I don't understand why that's happening. A lot of people are complaining about this. I do not have any insight that might explain why this is happening. That's, that's my answer. Great. Okay. But now the data's in. The Pfizer data looks good. It's three shots. Moderna's two shots. And they're going to meet on the 15th of June. Why not tomorrow? I don't know. They don't seem to think it's all that urgent for little kids to get vaccinated. I'm in disagreement about that. Mm-hmm. I would hope that they will meet on June 15th and approve it. And ASAP will approve it right after. I would love to say that we should count on that. But I'm I'm too wary to count on it. Sure. Um, okay, so a phrase that when I first heard it, just like I immediately wanted to reject it from my brain and not think about it again because there are enough things in the world happening is uh, monkeypox. <laughs> what the hell, Emily? <laughs> I know about monkeypox. So, uh, yeah, monkeypox is something that I have dealt with before. It is a rare disease in this part of the world. It is not endemic. And it is, but it has been imported a few times in, you know, prairie dogs and ferrets and other things and on a plane once. And anyway, the, the bottom line is monkeypox is a thing that's been introduced into our community and not resulted in widespread, you know, massive infection, which makes me feel really confident about it. Monkeypox is not the most effective human to human transmitter, but with close contact, especially with the lesions, you definitely can get monkeypox. Oh, God, like the word lesion, like, do we have to do this? Well, if they don't, you know, honestly, though, here's the thing. Most people do just fine. Even in a resource poor setting in Western Africa, the mortality rate for this clade is only 1%. Here in the United States, we've never had anybody die of this. So it's kind of nasty because you get these horrible pustules and they are exactly what they sound like. And you can get them everywhere. No. And sometimes more limited, but you really don't want them on your face because they can scar. (sighs) But um, it's, it's like smallpox light. 
Oh God. Um, that is really what it is. Kind of smallpox light. And it is an issue, right? So there's a lot of cases now. So then a lot of people are like, well, why are we hearing about all these cases, all these clusters all over the world at the same time? It must be that it is now got some new transmissibility and it's rampant. No, that's not actually happening. That's COVID. COVID's doing that. Yes, it is. So save your fear and anger for that. But monkeypox, actually, what we're seeing is that it's actually causing such limited infection that people are missing the diagnosis, which is great news, right? Um, But now we know to be looking for monkeypox. And so you're going to see a huge eruption of cases in not that's funny because we say a rash erupts anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I get it. So <laughs> I get it, but I'm not laughing. <laughs> huge eruption. This infectious disease humor. Um, huge eruption in cases in the United States, but it's not because it's spreading super quickly. It's because we're finding them now. These people are paying more attention. Most doctors have never heard of monkeypox, and most people that have um, some genital lesions are going to go see a sexual wellness clinic or you know either a primary care doc and not go straight to an infectious disease specialist who, you know, might be able to take a look at that and say something different. And we certainly expect to see more cases, but that does not mean that it is, you know, airborne and transmitting to everyone. It can be airborne, but it's not likely to be airborne in a healthy individual. Uh. And I think the best thing I can say is that you should avoid having close contact with somebody with the monkeypox rash and someone who's been exposed to monkeypox or someone who's been diagnosed with monkeypox should stay home and be quarantined for a little while. Okay. And there's things we can do to prevent you from getting it after you've been exposed, by the way. It's a long incubation period. It's like two weeks. Oh. But we can give you smallpox vaccine or monkeypox vaccine. And there's medicines that we can use. Okay. I just really don't want people to freak out about this. I think this can be containable and managed. Okay. If that changes, I'll let you know. Okay, great. Well... I appreciate, as always, having you on and having you share some of your insights around all this. It's certainly happening. And we'll <laughs> check back in with you in an unknown period of time, I guess. <laughs> well, in the meantime, wear your mask. Yes. Thank you, Emily. You're the best. Thank you. that's it for this week thanks to Deanna and Ava and Isabel and Cassie and everyone who called in and typed in with their COVID questions as always I hope this episode helped provide some clarity for you the show is produced by me and Anna Bauman Maggie Civit builds our newsletter every week and Brendan Banazak is our executive producer we will see you next week Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.